Good afternoon and welcome to Cinema with a Twist on WIOX Community Radio, serving the Catskills region on 91.3 FM and to the rest of the wired world on WIOXradio.org. I am your curious host, Dwight Grimm, and thanks for joining me on our semi-monthly journey into the world of films and filmmaking with a dash of mixological intrigue. This is episode 75. I have a little taste of home today, my home that is, uh, from Central Australia. Uh, my interview is with documentary filmmaker Nana Sen. Uh, she is from the Northern Territory of Australia, and she has created a film chronicling the historic cultural journey of the Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir as they traveled to Germany in 2015 to perform in their traditional language, the Baroque choral music brought to the outback over 100 years ago by German missionaries. The film is called Song Keepers. Uh, they were actually just here uh, on the East Coast uh, for a couple weeks with some special engagements. Uh, and so we'll be, uh, I'll be talking with Nena uh, very shortly. Uh, but let's quickly do a once around the business. Uh, this past weekend at the box office, we have a new number one. Uh, that would be Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, they are in pole position with $75.8 million. Uh, sliding back to the number two position uh, is Jurassic World of Fallen Kingdom. Uh, they took in another $28.6 million uh, to improve their lie to $333 million. Uh, Incredibles 2 still in the top five. Um, they slipped a little bit down to number three, pulling in just shy of Jurassic World. They had uh, $28.4 million, uh, and they have now crossed the $500 million mark domestically. Uh, debuting this week in the number four position is the first purge with $17.3 million. And they are, and then uh, rounding out the top five is Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Uh, that is... Um, uh, they just made $7.6 million. Uh, that was their third week in the top five. Um, in a uh, fairly bold move, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, bolstered its ranks by inviting a record 928 artists and executives from 59 countries um, to be part of the Academy. Um, they have... Uh, uh, they've been trying to bolster their ranks, uh, especially with uh, folks um, who are uh, from a, a diverse background. So people of color uh, represented 38% of the new um, invites, and women were 49%. Um, so just to give you some perspective, uh, last year in 2017, the Academy invited 744 new members, so that 928 is a pretty big, uh, pretty big jump. The past couple of weeks have been great uh, for online distribution of documentaries featured here on Cinema with a Twist. Uh, Jen Hex, The Promised Band, uh, Christopher Lockett's Until They're Gone, and Ask the Se Sexpert, produced by Merdu Chandra, uh, they are all now available on various platforms online. Um, if you want to go to their websites uh, or you can swing by cinemawithatwist.com, uh, there's more information as to where those uh, films are available. Daisy Catabell, uh one of the three Aboriginal girls whose story inspired the 2002 film Rabbit Proof Fence, passed away at the age of 95. Uh, Daisy was part of the so-called Stolen Generation. Uh, her removal had been ordered... Uh, back in the 30s, 
uh, early 30s. Uh, she was taken from home in Jigalog in an indigenous community uh, in the Pilbara region of northwestern Australia. Uh, a sister, Molly, and cousin, Gracie, were also seized. All three girls uh, were sent to a different community near Moore River, just above Perth, uh, which is about 800 miles from home. Uh, they escaped in 1931, uh, and they embarked on foot uh, for nine weeks uh, across the outback using the barbed wire fence that had been built to keep rabbits away from the pasture land. Uh, and that story, of course, inspired uh, the movie um, Rabbit Proof Fence. Uh, so Fairwind's Daisy. Uh, giving voice to the story of Aboriginal women is the mission of our guest uh, interview today. Nina Sen is a filmmaker based out of the Northern Territory of Australia, and she is the director of the new documentary Songkeepers. Uh, I spoke to Nina in Manhattan on Monday, and here is the interview. Are listening to Cinema with a Twist, I am, as always, your curious host, Dwight Grimm. And today I am interviewing Nena Sen from uh, Central Australia. Well, I guess it's Central Australia by way of many other parts of the world. Uh, she is a filmmaker who has made a film called The Songkeepers. And um, it is an extraordinary tale uh, about a choir of Aboriginal women from uh, a variety of areas in Central Australia who have come together and are practicing uh, the art of the sort of sacred singing uh, in their original language, but actually through sort of a, a lens of this German choral tradition. Is that, is that correct? This is an extraordinary tale. Can you, let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you, how did you come to, to find these women? And how did you decide that you were going to make this film? It's a privilege to be in New York City talking about a film that is based in the oldest culture in the world, halfway across the world. So, um, it is an extraordinary story. Uh, so I first heard about the Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir completely by chance um, on a flight from Melbourne to Alice Springs. I was going to Alice Springs in the Central, which is the capital of Central Australia, if you will. Um, and I was sitting next to a lovely woman. We didn't know each other, but, you know, it was a two and a half hour flight. We started chatting and um, she started asking me questions about my documentary practice and she said to me oh you might be interested you know you might you might be interested in this she said have you heard about this Aboriginal women's choir and you know I hadn't but my curiosity was immediately piqued because uh, you know up till that point I'd done a lot of work within Aboriginal communities for about you know seven to eight years before that but they were all a based up in the top end of Australia but my spectrum of exposure to Aboriginal music to that point had been either deeply ceremonial, traditional music, or it had been certainly songs sung in language about culture, but very much within a folk or a pop or a rock or a reggae construct. So the idea of Aboriginal choral music had never occurred to me. Like it was almost, it seemed almost like an anomaly, you know. I was so completely wrong. <laughs> um, so that's actually how I heard about the choir. Um, and, you know, this was early 2014. Uh, so, you know, that curiosity kind of stayed with me for a couple of days. So I, I Googled them, essentially. Um, and at that point, there wasn't much about the choir online. But there were a few kind of lo-fi audience clips. Um, 
of you know concerts they've done in Alice Springs, and even through those kind of recordings, I mean, I guess the magnitude of not just their musicality, but there's a depth in the way they sing. I mean, it blew me away. I'd never heard anything like it. Well, I think one of the things that's that's extraordinary about it is that it's not it's coming from it's coming from a place of pure music, and what I mean by that is that there isn't they're not singing for uh to go out into the world and perform for folks they're not this is it's literally they're singing from a place of spiritual joy and you know at its and that that in itself is so beautiful to witness when you're somebody who's just i'm singing because this brings me happiness and there's it's coming from a completely different place from a lot of performers who might be you know i'm trying to get on the pop charts or whatever you know whatever the thing is and, and it's not to say that the, that's a you know a, ne a negative necessarily but it's just it's coming from a different place and i think if if anything like you can really sort of distill what's so amazing about this particular project is that at every level it's music coming from a different place um, be it, you know, the remote Australian outback and, and where they are singing from. But at the same time, they're also singing in this sort of German tradition. So there is, it is coming from somewhere else as well that's maybe more familiar. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of an incredibly unique conjunction of music. So essentially what, to break it down, obviously Aboriginal people have been singing for over 60,000 years. You know, they are singing culture. It is how law and culture is transmitted. It's an oral culture. So around 140 years ago, when the German Lutheran missionaries came to Central Australia, they very quickly realized that. They very quickly realized that this was a singing culture. Theirs was a singing culture too. They had hymns. So it was a meeting of two singing cultures. So. I think, you know, if they had just bought the scriptures and the psalms and there was no music, there would have been no reference point. And so in some ways, there was a reference point of culture, of ceremony, of something that was had a tradition, you know, that Aboriginal people could then reference because they had such a strong tradition. Um, and... So you, what you now have is you have this choral legacy that is over 140 years old of German sacred poetry, Baroque arrangements and early Romantic arrangements, because the arrangements stayed exactly the same, but sung in Aboriginal languages that are over 40,000 years old. So Western Aranda and Pitinjara are two of the oldest languages on the planet. And I think it is that, the grounding of the fact that they are sung in indigenous languages is actually what gives the choir and this music its incredibly special tone because it really is unlike any other choir you would, you would have heard because it's, it is grounded in that, in that culture that is so old. So there is a depth of tangible and, in, and intangible emotion that comes through. So... In all those respects, it's, it's, it's an incredibly unique thing that has existed in, you know, these really obscure remote churches in Central Australia for no other reason, like you said, but as an expression of music 
and joy and spirituality. So whether, you know, the choir, whether I had made this film or not, the choir would have continued to do what they were doing. But I came on board at a very, very interesting time where, you know, they, this choral legacy had been going for 140 years, but since like the 80s it had started dwindling um, because the men left. The men left to pursue country and Western music. Um, and the women had continued this tradition on. Um, and they'd been working uh, with a man called Morris Stewart, who's their choir conductor, for about, by the time I came on board, for about 10 years. And he'd been asked to work with these, you know, little, 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 little choirs from different, you know, six different remote communities. And he'd been working with them for a while, and they wanted to revive that music. So he then... Uh, they all decided to combine those little choirs. So, you know, the five people here and the eight people here and the 12 people here, all of a sudden you had a choir of 32 women. Um, so when I came on board, they were about a year and a half out from embarking on a really historic journey to Germany where they were going to take these songs back to source, but in language. So they were... I guess it was it was a historic journey in many ways, not just because it, this was a story that was coming full circle, but they were taking that music back from a great position of strength and cultural power. So those songs now mean something totally different. They're very much part of Central Desert identity. Um, so they they don't mean the same thing as when they were first. Uh, shared, I guess, you know, in that context. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about the about your introduction to them personally, because there, there are a lot of very strong and unique characters within this choir. Can you talk about sort of the early, like, hi, hi I'm here to make a documentary uh, about you, and, and, and just a little bit about the evolution of the relationship of yourself as the filmmaker with uh, the choir themselves? Um, so like I said, when I Googled them in 2014, early 2014, I was quite blown away. So I essentially tracked down Morris Stewart, their choir conductor. Uh, tracked, stalked, you know, call it what you will. Um, so I wrote him a really extensive email and, you know, essentially said to him that, look, this is what I do. Um, I'm incredibly, I don't even know what I use, but I, I just said to him, I said, I, I I would really like to talk to you in the choir about kind of um, doing a docker and telling your story, but also projections for your show because, you know, when I heard them sing, I could I kept visualizing landscape and archive. And, I mean, I didn't know the depth of history at that point. Um, I knew enough to know that it was an incredibly visceral feeling that I had. That is rare, you know. Um, so a couple of weeks later, he called me. And, you know, we had the first of our many long conversations where, you know, we started going through a bit more of the layers of the story and the history of that choral movement. And um, he said to me, this projection idea you have, he said, I'm really intrigued by that. He said, I, I think that could work really well because, and he said it really off the cuff, he said, um, because we're going on tour next year to Germany. <laughs> I said, what? So, you know, I said to him, I said, hang on, this isn't really seminal moment you 
you have to let me do a film about this. Like, you know, I, I mean, I wanted to do a docker before then, but, you know, here was this incredible story, this completely obscure music and these amazing women that were then now going to embark on this in crazy adventure. So he, what, what he had said to me was, you know, the women had been wanting to tell their story for a long time. They just didn't know in what capacity or form or like what that was. Anyway, so he essentially said, look, I've got to talk to them about all this. Let me get back to you, you know. And I had no idea whether he was going to call back, if I was ever going to hear from him, <laughs> you know. Um, but then a couple of months later, I found myself sitting in a little church in Alice Springs. Um, the choir had asked me to sit in on a rehearsal. And, you know, those YouTube videos had not done them remote justice. I was sitting in that church, and the, the first time I heard them sing, it was extraordinary. I mean, that's the only word for it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, having having witnessed witnessed things of that uh, nature. It's it's mesmerizing when you hear hear the voices, and it, it really is. It touches something extraordinarily timeless, and it's a, it's a thing of beauty. Mm. So. Um, so I guess then what happened was uh, that was my introduction to the choir. And we, you know, very slowly started talking about, you know, projections for the show um, and, you know, side by side kind of developing a documentary. And very, very early on, it was very, very organic, actually, the whole process. You know, you're talking about relationships. And I think certainly cross-cultural relationships work best when it is organic. Um, but again, you know, because the women, you know, they, they've been wanting to tell this story. So we started from a point where as the filmmakers and them as the choir, we were on the same page, you know. We wanted to get the story out there. Um, but Daphne Punjana, who is the senior elder of the choir, and total boss lady. I mean boss lady. <laughs> Daphne and I struck up a very special relationship very quickly. You know, she's the kind of woman who is infinitely profound one second and then laughs like a five-year-old the next second. <laughs> and above anything, she's just, she's fearless. She's tenacious. And she very, very quickly assess the value, the potential of value of, mm -hmm. of what was going on. Because, you know, I mean, the, this this call, a legacy, has been there for a long time, but a lot of the choir members are older. So for them to want to pass this on to the younger generation, either they all need to be in choirs now or there needs to be a legacy to be left behind, you know. Um, so Daphne kind of was instrumental in, I guess, um, vetting me. So my friendship with Daphne, I guess, meant I had street cred, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so through, I guess, her and, you know, lots of guidance by her and her really peeling away the layers of the story, a lot of the other senior women then kind of went, okay, this is, this is all right. So then we then, you know, started developing individual relationships. But... You know, it took time, but it was a very seamless process because we all had an, a lot of fun together. 
you know. Um, and it was a two-way thing. Like, it took time. There was trust. I needed to trust them. They needed to trust me, you know. It's, people often talk about trust one way. It's never like that. You know, as a filmmaker, you're also kind of uh, in, investing and embedding yourself in someone else's world. You have to be welcomed, but you also have to... Uh, you have to feel right being there, I guess. Right, absolutely. Mm. Um, and that is one of the things, sort of a, a recurring theme on Cinema with a Twist when we were talking to, especially documentary filmmakers, is like it's one of the beauties of, of being a documentary filmmaker is that you get to be in this world that you are perhaps not of um, for an extended period of time and you really get to learn. But what's also what's usually the most interesting thing about that is that you become part of the story like to some degree like it this journey uh, obviously has changed you i would assume right so it's like you're not you're not an idle observer um and so being able to like sort of step into this thing and and let me ask you one of the questions i usually ask for uh, documentary filmmakers is what did you think the story was at the beginning and what was the story as you're i mean you're more you, the film is a Effectively complete at this point, right? Oh, it's completely it, complete. Okay. No, no, I, it's just because I know that it's like you're, there are festival things, and sometimes it's like we make a little yes, change. No. It's complete. So what? What was the? What was you? What did you think the story was, and what did the story become at the end? Look, when I when I first sat in on that rehearsal, I thought. I thought the story was going to be certainly about this choral music, this history, because, you know, some of these women have been singing for 50, 60 years in choirs. Like, it's generational. So I definitely thought that it would be about that music encased in this pretty historic trip they were going to take. But I think I always knew that those two things were metaphors for some pretty layered stuff to do with identity, to do with identity and that, you know, the, the push and the pull, but also the cross-pollination between traditional culture and faith. Because I guess one of the things that struck me the most was how unabashed and unapologetic those women were also about their faith. And they're very senior cultural custodians. So... The, I guess the, the deafness with which they balanced those two parts of their identity, even though I didn't know them, came across pretty clearly, pretty quickly. So it was always going to be a layered film told through personal storytelling because to me it was, it was also this, these powerful women, you know. That, that musical space in contemporary Aboriginal music is often... Um, predominantly held by men. So I also knew that I wanted to tell a really strong woman's story. What? I, so in some ways, I think the film is very much that. The, the difference being is I didn't, as we got to know each other, and I guess as the women started telling me their personal stories, I didn't realize how deep we were going to go. I mean, there's a reason it took four years, you know? Um... So the generosity with which 
and the bravery as well, because these are difficult stories to tell with which they went there, um, which then really takes the view on, you know, the, the, the structure of the film in some ways ended up being a microcosm of the structure of my relationship with those women. You know, it, it, the film goes from the historical to the, and, and, and it just gets more and more personal as you go along. So now, um, films, film had a cinema run, uh, in Australia. Um, you had a couple of big events and then you've had a couple of screenings and events here in the United States. Just talk a little bit about, um, the reception and, and where the film is out there in the world at the moment. So we had our world premiere at the Melbourne International Film Festival in 2017, which was amazing. So we had the entire choir there um so then essentially then we had to wait for a while for the cinema release so we've just essentially in april of 2018 we uh released the film theatrically in australia and in the capital cities you know it kind of had about an eight-week run which for an independent film like this is pretty amazing it's a very much a word-of-mouth film because it's some way such an obscure thing um and I think it's still running, actually, in Perth and Adelaide. And we're, I think we're in week 11 or 12 now. Um, so it's now being rolled out regionally across the country. Um, and uh, essentially, we, uh, we had a preview screening of the film in Washington, which was really interesting because it was the first time I'd sat in with a non-Australian audience. And it was, it was a really beautiful thing because everyone laughed at the right time, they cried at the right time, there was pin drop silence at the right time. The Q&As were quite similar to the ones we'd had in Australia. So that was really heartening to see that the humanity of it and the emotional component of the film just translated. It was universal. Um, I mean, you know, the, the response in Australia has been, over, has been quite overwhelming, actually. People are... It's the same as, as when they watch the women sing. They're incredibly moved by what you were saying, this thing that is really it's deep and it's kind of intangible and it's old. And what has been the response from the, the women to the film? Oh, the women are superstars. <laughs> you know, every time we all watch the film together, it's very emotional. Everyone still cries. Um... They've now seen it a few times with packed audiences. And I guess it's just a really, really great source of pride. Um, and strength, you know, because uh, the women are completely themselves in the film. And that that is them being incredibly strong and powerful and resilient, but also really funny and really cheeky and really witty and... You know, so I guess for me to watch, certainly in Australia, the rest of the country fall in love with them the way I did. It's an amazing experience, you know. Um, the women get recognized a lot, a lot now. Um, I mean, they've done heaps of media. They're pros, you know. Um, but I think the thing they love is, is, is I guess, the recognition uh, and praise from their own communities and people kind of going... 
and it's not about the film, it's what I guess about what the film is, but you know, this journey that these women have been on to, to kind of take this music from one end of the world and now, you know, they're touring, they're performing, the Australia and I I would say soon the world is going to get to hear how amazing they are. So the pride that families feel about that that is represented in the film is 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 amazing. And it you know, I mean even for me as a filmmaker, like I've this is my first feature. It's a bizarre thing to go into a cinema and eat some popcorn and watch something you've spent five years making. <laughs> you know? To say, um, uh, I do have to say as a, uh, both a, somebody who grew up in Washington, D.C. and grew up in Alice Springs, like for me, this moment where the women from Central Australia are singing at the Kennedy Center, which just happened just a few weeks ago, it was just that. I mean, a moment of pride for me, and it's not—it's their story, you know. It's like to be able to see that level of recognition uh, for for the women, I think, is extraordinary, and it's extraordinary that you have helped make that possible. So, kudos to you for for really like making making this incredible story accessible to every there is a deep humanity in it and i mean i think that and it's extraordinary when you take something that's so far away from in every sense physically culturally like but still being able to find that common thread of humanity through the music it's just such a wonderful thing and again it just i, I i'm very proud that you've made this film <laughs> so, um anyway we've been talking with nana zen um she is the filmmaker behind song keepers uh which and again, we will hopefully be bringing to the u.s very soon and, you will, and once and once we have u.s dates uh we will be posting them here on cinema with twist um and so i appreciate you being on thank you so much thank you dwight for having me WIOX is supported by Pico Moose Restaurant on Route 28 in Big Indian, featuring farmhouse cuisine prepared with locally grown ingredients and a growing wine and craft beer list. Open for dinner Thursday through Monday at 4 p.m. The Pico Moose Tap Room and Lounge serves food and drink until midnight Friday and Saturday. Reservations and information at PicoMooseRestaurant.com or 845-254-6500. WIOX is supported by 23 Arts Initiative. Presenting live at The Last Chance, a series of Saturday noontime concerts at The Last Chance Tavern in Tannersville. Part of the 23 Art Summer Music Festival taking place July 13th through August 5th on the mountaintop. On Saturday, July 14th, tenor saxophonist and vocalist Camille Thurman and the Daryl Green Trio join the Brianna Thomas Band for an afternoon of new interpretations of jazz standards. On Saturday, July 21st, soprano Amelia Watkins teams up with pianist Francine Kay for a Ravel-inspired program of music for soprano vocals and classical piano. On Saturday, July 28th, two young New Orleans musicians, guitarist Cliff Hines and vocalist Sasha Masakowski, front the band Hildegard, playing a blend of art rock, jazz, classical, world, and indie pop. All concerts begin at noon at the Last Chance Tavern on Main Street in Tannersville. Tickets and information for all festival events at 23arts.org. 
You're listening to Cinema with a Twist on WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM here out of Roxbury, New York. Uh, I am, as always, your curious host, Dwight Grimm. Uh, we were speaking earlier with uh, filmmaker Nana Sen, uh, who has made a film, documentary film, called The Songkeepers, uh, about the extraordinary journey of the uh, Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir. So, uh, in honor of that, um, we actually have a couple of tracks uh, from the movie, so you get to enjoy uh, the fine um, choral work that these ladies have done. So.
that was the Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir. They were featured in the film uh, The Songkeepers, a film made by Nana Zen. Uh, and that film has actually been uh, here on the East Coast of uh, the U.S. Uh, the ladies actually came over and performed at the Kennedy Center uh, a few weeks back uh, as part of um, the uh, annual choral festival that happens at the Kennedy Center uh, in D.C. And then they came up uh, and did a couple of performances uh, in New York City, where I was able to catch up with Nina Sen. So, um, just a, f- a sort of a funny uh, anecdote uh, on that. Uh, Nina is also um, she is also married to my friend Francis Deschenko, uh, and uh, Francis uh, one of uh, one of his past endeavors was he was uh, the guitar accompanist uh, for one of Australia's most remarkable uh, Aboriginal performers, Gurmal. Uh, Germel, the, the documentary about uh, the late Germel, he sadly passed away uh, 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 way too early. Um, and in fact, we we featured some of his songs um, uh, right after his passing uh, a while back. Um, so anyway, there is a documentary out there in the world just simply called Germel. If you uh, Google it, you'll you'll find uh, you'll find it out there, and you can learn more about him. Um, you know, it was funny. I mentioned in the uh, in my interview with Nana, I was talking about how these how this music, this Aboriginal music, is coming from a place of of spiritual purity and just joy around the music. And uh, one of my f- uh, favorite anecdotes uh, about Francis traveling with Gromo was that uh, they went to um, I think they were in France, and they got a uh, they got a call uh, from. Sting's manager saying that Sting wanted to perform a duet uh, with Gurumul, and uh, they they went to they went to Gurumul and said, "Hey, uh, Sting wants Sting wants to play with you. Uh, he wants to do a duet." And Gurumul's response is, "Who is Sting?" And you know that sort of gives you an idea of like just how remote and removed uh, some of these Aboriginal communities are from from the rest of the world. And so, it's wonderful when somebody like Nana picks up this this remarkable story and brings it out to us um and you know i don't know i'm just i'm I'm so thrilled that that these ladies uh from central australia are are sort of getting their day in the sun um and it just in honor of uh of germo we're also i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna play you another track from him as well
that was uh, a track from Gurmul. Um I just looked it up. I wanted to see uh, uh, see if the uh, Sting Gurmul duet was out there in the world. I see that uh, YouTube has pulled it down for copyright violations. I suspect it's probably out there somewhere in the world. Um, it is definitely worth tracking down if you get a check uh, if you get a chance to uh, to look uh, for the Every Breath You Take uh, duet between Gurmul and Sting. Um, so even though that one is not available out there, uh, I am going to play you the, uh, duet, uh, he did with the incredible Paul Kelly. Oh, 
was two of Australia's musical treasures, Guramol and Paul Kelly, doing Amazing Grace. So, um, since we're doing almost all things, uh, discussing all things Australia today, uh, it seems only appropriate uh, to, uh, as we switch over now to the twist part of Cinema with a Twist, to discuss The Illusion. Um, I don't recall whether we've talked about the illusion on on Cinema with a Twist before, but if you've spent any time in Australia uh, in any sort of drinking establishment in the last 30 years, then chances are pretty good you've come across the illusion. It is Australia's answer to the Long Island iced tea to some degree. It is an iridescent green drink usually served in hurricane glass uh, and often in great volume. Uh, and consumed with much celebration. Uh, that is the illusion, uh, and the illusion is gets its green color from Midori. Um, interesting f- little fact about uh, Midori I learned today. Uh, it was launched uh, in 1978. It's a fairly new uh, liqueur by that uh, metric. Uh, it was launched in 1978 at Studio 54, uh, in conjunction with uh, a cast, crew, and producer party from Saturday Night Fever, so it, it seems it seems a relatively a relatively uh, appropriate launching spot for Midori. Um, it uh, is it is musk melon flavored. Uh, it's produced. Uh, it was up until 1987. It was ex- it produced exclusively in Japan uh, by Centauri. Uh, it is now manufactured in other parts of the world besides Japan, uh, including the United States, Mexico, and France. Um, and it is extremely sweet, uh, so you don't normally uh, you don't normally drink that uh, that straight. Uh, so you it ends up in things like the illusion, which is uh, generally speaking, to make an illusion, you want about an ounce and a half of Midori, a half an ounce of vodka, a half an ounce of triple sec. Uh, you want to top that up with another ounce and a half of pineapple juice and a half ounce of lemon juice. Put that all together uh, with some ice and a shaker. You're going to want to shake that a lot with all that juice in there. And you're going to get yourself a nice iridescent green uh, uh, confection of a cocktail. Um, and yes, that has taken down many, many folks uh, <laughs> around Australia. The illusion. So... Anyway, uh, let us now take a quick look at what is playing in the uh, WIOX listening area. Uh, the Greenville Drive-In, it's Incredibles 2 and Solo. The Mountain Cinema and Hunter has Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation, and Disobedience. The Orpheum in Tannersville will be screening Book Club. Park Theater in Cobleskill has Incredibles 2. At the Rosendale Theater, they'll be showing American Animals, and on Saturday, the New York International Children's Film Festival. Southside Mall Oneonta has Won't You Be My Neighbor, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation, Skyscraper, The First Purge, Sicario, The Day of the Soldado, Uncle Drew, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and 
Incredibles 2. The Spectrum 8 in Albany will be showing Leave No Trace, Three Identical Strangers. Sorry to bother you, Whitney. Won't you be my neighbor? Boundaries, RBG, and Heart Beats Loud. At the Upstate Films, they'll be showing Leave No Trace. Wyndham Theater has Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Skyscraper. So that's what's playing. As always, you're going to want to uh, visit the theater websites for showtimes and directions to those theaters. Uh, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, just a special thanks uh, to Nana Sen, who was our uh, guest today talking about uh, her film Songkeepers. Uh, our next episode, episode 76, will be two weeks from today on July 26th. Our previous episode, episode 74, will be available tomorrow um, on SoundCloud and iTunes. That was with Jack Epps, who is a veteran screenwriter uh, and most notably the uh, screenwriter behind Top Gun. Um, information on uh, the topics we've discussed, as always, you can find things out at the Cinema with a Twist Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash cinema with a twist. Uh, the back out issues of uh, Cinema with a Twist uh, can be found on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash cinema with a twist. And if you have any thoughts, questions, suggestions, criticisms, etc., you can find me by email at twist at drivein32.com. All right, that is it for our installment today of Cinema with a Twist here on WIOX Radio 91.3 FM. And please remember to live curious. This is the song at the end of the movie When the house lights go on The people go the plot's been resolved It's all over This is the day after the last 